The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. on SAFM. Greetings, panel. Sooner or later, the baobab will fall as the ants have eaten the inside out. Keep pruning the tree, but not the problem. Hence, today's State of the Nation address is just like that. Like a fruit tree that bears little fruit. Corruption and corruptors get a slide. Much appreciated. Wait and see. It has created how to build trust in betrayal. Another SMS coming through. I was not so impressed by the president's speech. We're hearing about the same thing every time. The president always says about fighting corruption and no action has been taken to those who are doing the corruption. And I think the fight against corruption is to get rid of tenders in government departments and insource people to work in government. If not corruption, will continue in our country. And a couple of remarks made by some Listeners saying, right on, sir, totally agree, and as frustrated as you are regarding the President's Sona speech. Indeed, thank you very much for hosting tonight, and mine is to say thank you so much to Indeed Listening. Sanusha Naidu is on hold. She's a young independent political analyst. Ms. Naidu, thank you so much then for your time. I'll give you an opportunity to just give me your thoughts in relation to your takeout from the President's address. Uh, good evening, Sangazi. Uh, how are you? I'm well, ma'am. How are you? Very well, thank you. I I think the speech was essentially one where the president really tried to balance out the positives and the negatives. I mean, you know, he spoke about four priorities and he said that those are the priorities and there's only four. But then where it kind of lost its way is fleshing out those four priorities this year in going forward, setting a roadmap, one that is implementable, one that has details, one that sets timeframes and can actually say this is what we're going to achieve in this space of time. Populating it with a little bit more substance would have been good. I understand that he, it was a difficult year. I understand that it wasn't a normal uh, 2020. And some of the reflections and the reviews that he gave in, in the uh, positives that came out um, yeah, it was good. I mean, you know, we, there were investment pledges and so forth. But I want to make the point that a pledge is not an actual investment transaction or a job opportunity is not an actual job. And I think this is where, for me, the speech kind of became navigating through roadblocks. And I don't want to be disrespectful to the president, but I do think that what people would have appreciated is what I would appreciate, and let me not generalize what my feelings are for the rest of South Africa, but what I would have appreciated is just to be honest and say these were the things that we could have achieved, but we did not. We understand the, the bottlenecks and the, and the crisis, but bearing in mind, COVID-19 only happened in 2020. Most of the issues he's talking about precedes COVID-19. Even the context of the economy and talking about where we are, this was a technical recession last year when he delivered the speech. When, when we look at the contraction of the economy by 7.5%, I think we've got to be clear that the structural inequalities and the structural uh, issues that, 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 that face our country have been there for a long time. And these bureaucratic uh, issues that, have, that existed in terms of not delivering, etc., I think we've got to be clear that these were themes that were existing for a long time. Now, what we want is a very clear coherence about where it's going. And that didn't seem to come out clearly. And I think he tried. 
I think that's the best way I could describe the speech, as one that he tried. I think the opposition parties, the critics are going to come out and they're going to say he didn't do enough. And, 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 and in some ways, I think there are spaces where he could have been much more forthright and clear. But at the end of the day, I think what ordinary South Africans like myself want is for him to actually align the speech to realities on the ground. Talking about realities on the ground, let's find some positives because there was one that, as I was listening, to, really just did make me feel proud to at least be a South African. In 2020, open quote, we became the world's second largest exporter of citrus with strong export growth in wine, maize, nuts, deciduous fruit and sugar cane. The favorable weather conditions in 2020 and the beginning of 2021 mean that agriculture is likely to grow in the near term. That is something I believe the president actually could have spent more time to say that to the young people who are unemployed and who have yet the energy. This is as good a time to get into agriculture because there clearly is a demand for South African products and the state is making land available for, among other things, this field of the economy, agriculture, because he goes on to say that some 5 million hectares of land have been redistributed by the government, totaling something to 5,500 farms and some 300,000 beneficiaries. A clear indication that this is, if you'll excuse the pun, a low-hanging fruit into economic activity. I, I, I agree with you, uh, but, every, but, but you must remember that this is also coming, as you say, low-hanging fruit. It's also coming in terms of the fact that there's been a demand for this because of uh, this, 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 this crisis of, around COVID. Uh, people are looking for more citrus fruit, etc., nuts, etc., in terms of health. I want to see the sustainability of this. What happens when we do get back to the kind of normal in terms of global exports? where we have to deal with sanitary and phytosanitary issues from uh, developed economies or even from our biggest trading partner, China. And what does that mean for when our products can't get into those markets? How are we going to deal with that? I know we keep looking at the negative, but I agree with you. We need to upskill people in terms of how they can produce both for local consumption as well as for exports. And I think in South Africa, what we have to also think about is how do we reconstruct the urban city in terms of creating food gardens? Because one of the things he mentioned in the speech is the deepening poverty and the growing hunger. And I think that's going to be a critical thing in terms of how do we feed ourselves as opposed to putting these, these exports, uh, these products all to export. A question on land will always remain because it was the ANC's at least manifesto or election politicking point in relation to the 29 campaign that they will expropriate land without compensation. This probably coming from the tremendous pressure they were getting from the economic freedom fighters in the lead up to that. And to the extent that he did mention land and anything to do with expropriation, this is what the president said. It is an opportunity to accelerate land redistribution through a variety of instruments, such as land restitution, expropriation of land in order to boost agricultural output. The question of land was not addressed in the context of remedying a historical wrong that has left mm-hmm. millions and millions of South Africans black, of course, destitute and therefore generationally poorer all the time. And that is something that he was addressing in the context of the growth in agriculture. 
But the question of land is foundational to South Africa's democracy because that has always been something that has been an election point, such that it found its way in the Constitution at Section 25. Now, is this government committed at all, in your view, from the pronouncements, three years on from when it said it would expropriate land without compensation? Do you get the sense that that will happen in this administration? Uh, it's difficult to say because there's a lot of bills before Parliament, and this is being this being one of them that has to basically get through and then be implemented into law. Um, I think for parties like the EFF, it's a hundred percent guaranteed that this is a non-negotiable. I think for the ANC, there are factions in the party that see this as a non-negotiable. But then there's also the question of what does this mean for those big farm uh, farms and those big farming communities where you have private sector, and you're talking about the private sector coming to the party, what does this mean in terms of going forward? And I think this is where the kind of balance between bringing the private sector in, making sure that we've been following this, this kind of model of economic development where private ownership of land has been a key of, 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 of the way in which the economic infrastructure and the economic model of development has been. And now you're saying you're going to expropriate. Uh, and it was quite interesting that he said we're going to expropriate, but he didn't say anything about without compensation. He just left that section of the, of the, of the phrase out. And I think what is important here is that land is not just about a commercial entity, as rightly pointed out. It's a foundation around the inequities of the past. And so it's a, it's a fundamental issue with regard to the democracy. I think people need to be able to use this land not just in the context of commercial farming, but also for a sustainable livelihood and a living, because this is also about how people are able to live on the land and not only for using the land for commercial export or for production in the way that you see it. And it goes back to my previous point of, of, of being able to feed ourselves. I'm not sure whether it's going to get through the kind of process that we want to. There's 36 bills in front of uh, legislation and bills in front of parliament that need to be going through the parliamentary process. I, do, I would like to think that this is one of the things. If it becomes another election theme, it just becomes a a kind of rattle that comes out of the box and then we rattle it away and then we say this is what we're going to do and hoping that will actually get people to come out to vote. I'm not sure if that's what's going to happen, but if that's the, uh, the, the attitude, I can't see this going anywhere. And I think at this point in time, it's going to be, it's more emotive and it's more uh, uh, conflictual because there are groups like Afri Forum that represents particular constituencies that are opposing this. So whether it gets through, I'm not sure. Let's talk about Spectrum. Um, last year, he said, open quote, an important condition for the success of our digital economy is the availability of high-demand Spectrum to expand broadband access and reliability. The regulator, referring to ICASA, has undertaken to conclude the, high, the license of high-demand Spectrum for industry via auction before the end of 2020. Before... before because of additional requirements, I beg your pardon, the licensing of the wireless open access network is likely to be completed during the course of next year. The auction itself has not been completed. In fact, it's only going to be completed hopefully on or before the end of March. That obviously defers the completion of the additional licensing requirements for the wireless open access network. This again was made before COVID-19. What we have seen now, the demand for 5G, for Spectrum, so that it can release 5G. Is that much more? Unfortunately, 
he could have said that statement today because we are not moving on that account. The importance of releasing spectrum and making sure that connectivity for the millions who are off the grid. Please, your yeah. comment on that in a minute or so. Sure. Go for it. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think that there's been a lot of, you know, he said that we're not going to make promises, but there's been a lot of promises and then we see it caught up in bureaucratic inertia. So I think to, to my mind, given where we are now, given that the fact that I'm not 100% confident that we're going to see a return to the kind of economics that we want to in this country because we're going to see the ever flow of third and fourth waves and even fifth wave of the, of the pandemic. I think spectrum and releasing that spectrum and the auctioning of it and increasing the, 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 the bandwidth for, for 5G has become paramount. The fact that we're not getting it and the fact that it's caught up in these kinds of bureaucratic red tape and all kinds of interesting dynamics that are happening within ICASA and around the auctioning process and all of that makes me wonder whether or not he can actually make, uh, take the decision and say he's making it his prerogative to release it and make ICASA take a, a, a firm action on it. Unfortunately, again, we're not sure. We have just shy of 10 minutes left of this conversation on The Viewpoint as we dissect the President's State of the Nation Address. 2021, his fifth for President Ramaphosa, his third, or rather his fourth in this dispensation as the sixth administration. Let's take a quick ad break before we continue the conversation then with you and Ms. Sanusha Naidu, who's an independent political analyst. Songezo Mapepe on SAFM. Songezo, it's Lazarus Mutimba from Wheatbank. If we were to build a better South Africa, a prosperous and a happy South Africa, by speaking, President Ramaphosa would have done it. Unfortunately, it won't happen by speaking. We need implementation. We need to do things that can be seen. So if, if we implement, it has to be an implementation in such a way that people will be able to see the difference. We no longer need something that it's like we must do this, we must. We need something that is done and it's seen, it's clear. Thank you. Yeah, greetings, greetings, Songwezo, and greetings to South African. I just want the clarity in terms of smart cities. The president speaks of the, he says, speaking to the fact that the smart cities are complete and are here. The modality of the smart city is here in the number of provinces. So, Mina, I, I'm just confused. I don't know where, in terms of location, one can find a smart city. Please, if we may be, if we may be given a clarity in terms of where to find a smart city, because I, myself, I want to visit such a smart city, but I don't see where is it. I never heard of it. The first time I heard this was on the first speech he he delivered on the first on the first so now, now i hear him saying it's complete i've never heard if anyone was working there or any op- job opportunities have been open in terms of those smart seats that are complete but I, I don't know where can i find a smart seat that the president is speaking of and he says they are complete and what is the difference that uh, this water agent is going to do which is different from what is the water supplier doing in terms of failure thank you I think the water question was answered by our listener from Port Elizabeth, Mkabela, in relation to the smart city. This is what the president said. The Lanseria smart city, the first new city to be built in a democratic South Africa, is now becoming, is now a reality in the making. 
The draft master plan for the city, which will become home to between 350,000 to half a million people within the next decade, was completed in November 2020 and is now out for public comment. So the only thing that has been completed in that regard is one, identifying Lanseria as the site for the smart city, that it will be the first to be built in democratic South Africa and that the draft master plan for the smart city itself will be available. And of course, spectrum is important if you want to build a smart city. Let's move on from that. I do have a question, a very burning one. Everybody's in many respects lamenting the fact that another established institution is coming through to do the work of many institutions already. For instance, President said we will shortly be appointing members of the National Anti-Corruption Advisory Council, which is a multi-sectoral body that will oversee the initial implementation of the strategy and the establishment of an independent statutory anti-corruption body that reports to Parliament. What will that body do that between and among them the SAPS cannot do? IPID cannot do, the Hawks cannot do, the SIU cannot do, the Public Protector cannot do, the AG cannot do, and the NPA cannot do. Because this Anti-Corruption Advisory Council will be looking into the activities that are already regulated or somehow looked at by existing bodies. Your thoughts? Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I'm laughing not because I find it funny. I'm laughing because I'm not sure... I can answer the question. Just like you, I'm confused and baffled about why you need a anti-corruption uh, agency or, or whatever this panel is called uh, to tell us about corruption when you have this kind of um, fusion center of sharing information. You have this, this super agency of SIU and MPA and all of these different judicial structures uh, to working with each other around uh, identifying a corruption, um, uh, prosecuting corruption, etc. What really scares me or disturbs me some years ago is that we don't need more agencies and institutions to identify and provide a diagnosis of the problem. We know what the problem is. What we need, as one of your, as your first caller had said in the voice note, is we need implementation. And the more we create these, these architects and these institutions, the more it's a, a, a drain on state resources. I'm not sure if the individuals that are appointed to these, to whether the water agency or the agrarian agency and now this anti-corruption uh, structure, are going to be doing it out of their own free will and say we're not going to get paid. Or are they going to basically get a minimal kind of honorarium or some kind of financial uh, uh, inducement? And this, again, is not what we want. We want to be able to say, you have all of the institutions at hand. Just make them workable. Implement them in a way that they align and reconcile with what the work ethic is in terms of their mandate. And I think this is what frustrates uh, ordinary South Africans is that they can see the money that could be invested in creating running water, fixing pipes, repairing potholes, creating, I would say, sustainable cities and not smart cities only, is that people want to see the water running in their taps. They want to see the flushing toilets. They want to see that they have a well uh, sustainable mm. structure that has a roof over there and not being defrauded by shysters that come and give them uh, below and substandard uh, uh, services. I don't understand.
Yeah, let's leave it there. There's plenty of it. Perhaps some of the questions might be better delineated in the budget speech or in the budget vote speeches of the respective departments. But a lot of work clearly ahead, not for the government, but for South Africans. South Africans being me, being you, being the listener, and everybody else who's interested in the fortunes of this country. Ms. Anusha Naidu, for your time, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Independent political analyst, Ms. Anusha Naidu, sparing her thoughts.